Hello, welcome to Brownline Church's midweek podcast. I'm Vince. I'm here with Kyle. Hello. And uh, Kyle, before we get into our discussion for today, uh, I have an update on our favorite uh, COVID comfort words. Um, Remember we talked about uh, our favorite commercials, you know, that are trying to comfort us in the in the age of COVID. Uh, So I found out uh, from uh, another podcast I listened to that somebody has written a code to scrape the Internet for any time there is a phrasing of in these fill in the blank times and then blah, 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 blah. And so the strange, <laughs> difficult, yes, yeah, challenging, uh, all yeah, of those uh, were there. Yes, unusual, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, trying, you know, uh, so I just, I, I, I had to pick out just the funniest one of all that they, that they saw from this and, and, uh, it was, uh, in these notable times, like it's, it's very, very neutral, you know, very, very like both sides approach to co- don't want to get, you know, don't want to make COVID-19 feel bad. Like we have to, we have to really toe the line on COVID-19's feelings. I feel like notable is what I say when I notice that like, uh, the price has changed on <laughs> the burritos at Chipotle. Oh, it's it notable. Is, it's notable yeah. that steak is more expensive now. That yes. is a notable, yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah. So in these notable times, you know, there there are people there for us to comfort us. So just so you know, Kyle. <laughs> noted. No, noted. <laughs> okay. Well, we had another really wonderful uh, discussion uh, with Linda Kim last Sunday uh, as our current series, God of the Oppressed, continues, uh, pressing us into uh, this one of our core values in our church of equity. Uh, and then particularly how much uh, self-sacrifice is involved in equity uh, when you are somebody who enjoys power and privilege in society, like you and me, Kyle. Uh, for today's topic, I wanted to talk about how another of our core values connects with this. Uh, and it's our value of emotionally healthy spirituality. So if we're using the death and resurrection Jesus pattern to describe what our church has been up to lately, certainly we've been majoring on the death side of uh, that, the dying to self that we all have to do to be a part of Mm -hmm. equity work. Uh, And that can put a lot of mental and emotional strain on us. I, Mm -hmm. I've battled feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and shame a lot in the past few months. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as, as is our firm conviction here, the upshot of dying to self is resurrection. Uh, in weathering the mental and the emotional strain, our goal is not to be depleted of our resources uh, just so we can feel how awful everything is, uh, but our goal is to, for this to transform us, to grow us, to increase our capacity, to make us more healthy emotionally and spiritually. So Kyle, I'm wondering, like, wh- what are the connection points you see between equity work and emotionally healthy spirituality? It's a really good question. I think at the end of the day, a lot of this comes down to um, a self-understanding, a perspective of where you sit in the world. When I see the privilege I bring to the table, I can stop living in a defensive place. I can kind of almost accept that there's things in my life that I have been given without a sense of merit. And I think... When we begin to have the conversation of equity, I think it does multiple things for multiple people. People who are recognizing that the status quo has actually helped us in an inequitable way. We actually are brought into a more humbled space. But here's the catch. It is not a threat to our mental health to be humbled. It is actually a freeing act 
to recognize that my worthiness, to recognize that my sense of acceptance, to recognize that my okayness is not dependent on um, kind of my identity as like a successful businessman, my identity as an educated individual. It actually makes it so that the things that we tie our identity to that are connected to the socially valuable things in our world lose power. And then in turn, I begin to look at a sense of identity for me that actually has a more solid grounding. And to me, that is being seen in the image of God, being valued as, as such, and living in the inheritance of being loved by Jesus. And on the other side of the thing, I think the reason why that it's a mental health process to think about equity is if you are somebody who doesn't experience privilege, there's a lot of social messages that actually challenge your sense of worth. And when we're having this lens of what makes me valuable is not what the status quo or society around me attributes value to, but actually my value is an innate um, result of being made in God's image and being loved by him, then a lot of the lies of our society can kind of break down. And then our sense of identity, I think, gets much better grounded when we're thinking about ourselves in the context of equity and not just equality, where we're saying, well, everything I have in my life, I've somehow earned because all, we all get equal things and I've, I've earned more because of where I'm at. That all of a sudden, I think, shifts our identity into places that are far less helpful, I would say, for our mental health. So really, you're helping us to see that defensiveness is more toxic to my emotional, spiritual health mm -hmm. than discomfort is, than mental and emotional mm -hmm. strain is. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting piece here. When we think about uh, rest and recovery, when we think about mm -hmm. self-care, when we think about those things, it's really important for us to understand what is it that I'm trying to weed out of my life? Uh, if I am trying to, if I'm trying to weed defensiveness out of my life, that is a much more fruitful enterprise for my emotional, spiritual health than it is to try to weed out discomfort. If the rest and the recovery and the self-care that I'm engaging in is trying to save me from discomfort, it's not actually rest, recovery, and self-care. Uh, I think when, when we take equity and, and combine it with emotional health, but if it is trying to weed out defensiveness, if it is trying to weed out, maybe we can tie to that entitlement, things like that, that is when rest, recovery, and self-care are really going to actually see my energy tank go up. You know, when I, when I think about self-care, I think there's two things that are at the heart of what creates a healthier emotional experience of life. And one of them, I think, is a sense of surrender, a sense of acknowledging the things in my life that are out of my control, a sense of letting go of uh, all of my wants and longings and desires um, that I have attributed to a happy life. You know, the sense of, like, I'll be happy when I get out. I'll be happy I'll be when happy. this is the case. Yeah, Exactly. A lot of those things. I think there's a sense of surrender of, like, you know what, I can be okay right now. On the other end of it, I also think a really important part of um, self-care is growing into a sense of accepting that we ourselves are loved and worthy. 
and, and just and feeling like we're not having to prove ourselves. I think maybe another way to think about defensiveness is a sense of like you're proving yourself to the yeah. world. There's a sense of like you're my my sense of of worthiness and okayness is under attack and I need to defend that. And you see that a lot with like white fragility. If we can let go of those things and not turn everything into a value assessment and my value is not what's on the line. And I think that's a real big issue when we talk about issues of race, we're constantly assigning value or not value. And I think if we're, if we can just take a step back and say me as a white person, having racial prejudice is not a value issue. It's just a reality and this is why I don't feel like, quote unquote, white guilt. I don't actually experience the sense of like white people should feel ashamed because that, that's not it's it's not a value assessment. It's just saying this is what reality is. And if we don't address reality, we're not going to bring about change. But I actually think that process of letting go and not feeling defensive, feeling secure in your identity, feeling a sense of like I am actually worthy in myself and actually things that would challenge me are not challenging my worthiness. They're actually just allowing me to live um, a life that is probably closer to what I actually desire is a, is a very much a sense of self-care and that sense of um, then surrendering. What if I do have bias surrendering? What if I do live in a society where the status quo benefits me surrendering this idea that I um, maybe don't have all of the control that I think I do and that part of what I've gotten to in life has to do with the privilege of being a, born a white man, I actually think that that can be a really freeing thing internally because I don't have to feel this sense of, like, uh, proving myself, the sense of, like, putting myself up and, and showing the world my value. And then since I, I think, for me, I find myself in a much more restful place. I find myself in a much more secure place where somebody can challenge me and say, that thing you said, the thing you did, I'm not sure you realize the racial implications of what that is. And I can just receive that as somebody who I know that I'm still valuable a human being, and I desire to actually be like more aligned with who I want to be, rather than defending myself. And I think that's where the self-care and equity almost have to play with each other, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And that goes well beyond um, matters of anti-racism or equity. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a skill that you can use in every relationship in your life, no matter what power dynamics are at play, or no matter what uh, strains or challenges or realities that are that uh, are needing conflict resolution or needing you know a hard conversation uh, are going to bring to you, you'll be able to use that same set of skills. So I I think absolutely this is in one place where where these two these two uh, desires a, a desire to to be a part of a more equitable world and then also a desire to to grow in your own emotional spiritual health they work in tandem. I have been part of a small group with people from all around the country and, the, and then a couple of people abroad every week uh, that leans into contemplative prayer. And one of the things that we talk about in this group is the move from reactivity to uh, what psychologists would call flow or what, uh, what Jesus would, would call like being pure of heart or pure of spirit. Um, and the idea is like uh, every human being sort of begins in reactivity where you're just like a bunch of raw nerve endings and and all that you can do is react to life. You know, so anything that happens, you just immediately react because you're just nerve endings. Uh, but the idea of growth, the idea of um, of um, developing maturity emotionally or spiritually 
would bring you to uh, a different state where you're not just reacting, where you are at the 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 word in in these circles is con- contemplation, where you're able to receive what's happening to you, be present, not just immediately react, but but then but then act in accordance with your values in a situation, in accordance with who you really are and who you really want to be. I think you know what are the things that prevent us. Um, from living in that place, what are the things that provoke us to be reactive? You know, I think it, it's it's our fear and our anxiety. It's a uh, it's um, fear and anxiety often tied to um, what could go wrong or what we might lose. And I think a lot of what contemplation does, is, or for my understanding of contemplative practices, is allowing us to ground ourselves in the moment and, and dial down our anxiety, dial down our fears. We can name them and see them. And I think a lot of why that's so important for us to acknowledge um, equity work is that a lot of what equity work is addressing um, a more contemplative perspective on humanity and a less reactive one in the sense that um, to acknowledge equity is for many of us to pause and realize that what we think we need to be okay might be different than the narratives we tell ourselves. Or like how I'm experiencing the world isn't necessarily the entire truth of what's happening with the world. Mm-hmm. And where I think you feel you see a lot of fear and anxiety when you started talking about equity from people of privilege like myself is this idea that I might be losing something letting go of that sense of like a more equitable society is a loss for you because the truth is actually i think living in a more equitable society is a win for us all i just read this whole study about the way that um covid19 has affected remote learning particularly around economic and racial lines of having uh, a worse experience in remote learning a lower quality experience for people who are low income and people who and uh, black and latinos that that experience what they project the effect of our economy over the lifetime of those students is a 300 billion dollar loss in our economy from the loss of education so this idea that actually a more equitable society would actually benefit all of us as a reality but even beyond that if we can let go of that that perceived sense of loss that's how we get to a better version of society but in the same time that's a self discipline letting go of my fears and anxieties not comparing myself to the world around me feeling okay and content with what i have um, not tying my identity to my things and my job and my status i think those are all important contemplation practices that are actually an essential companion to being somebody who is faithfully able to advocate for equity there there, you can't do one without the other well on one side if you're not if you're if you're not fighting for equity but you believe yourself to be doing good kind of self-discipline i think you're missing something there because i think you're missing some self-perception but on the other side of it if you're fighting for equity but you haven't let go of a lot of that sense of anxiety and fear uh, you either get very angry people that burn out quickly, or on the other hand, you get a lot of people that believe that they're saviors. Because I believe I really, I really am better than those other people, and look how good I am. Because my identity then becomes uh, through my virtue signaling as a as a good progressive, rather than again doing that work of letting go. My identity is not this amazing human being that fights for equity. My identity again is founded in something else. Yeah, yeah. Both of those situations are ticking time bombs. So I, I think that's right. The other connecting point I see here between equity work and then emotionally healthy spirituality is something that I I think you were getting at in that last point, which is 
the incredibly self-evidently good feeling of living in accordance with your values. <laughs> like when you're able to do that, when you're able to feel yourself, like have a moment where you're like, wow, I, I espouse to be this type of person and I feel myself actually like living in accordance with that. It, it's, an, it, it's an incredible gift. Like you feel joy, you feel energy, you feel passion, you feel like a strong sense of self. You feel like you can get up in the morning and feel good about things, even when there's so much around you that, you know, is saying life is broken or the world is broken. Uh, living in accordance with your values is a great gift. And so uh, I, I think that's a key thing here that uh, of, of, of a way that these two overlap because of what we've learned about uh, some, like, for example, you mentioned virtue signaling. Are you putting off the the right vibes in terms of like what your what, what virtues you ascribe to so that you can receive like some social affirmation for that? I've heard in conversations around around politics, there's been some some studying of polling of white Democrats. If they're polled about very general questions around like uh, racial inequity, uh, you know, are, are you wanting to be a part of a more racially equitable society? Overwhelmingly, the responses are yes. As you get down into more like very detailed like policy uh, matters, there is less resounding support when those housing policies to uh, make housing more fair in America for uh, black and brown peoples then affect my ability to live in the neighborhood that I want to live in and go to this uh, have my kids go to the school that I want to uh, want them to go to school to. That's when we start to realize like, oh my gosh, it is, it is quite difficult to live in accordance with your values. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what uh, sociologists suggest is this, uh, there, there's a name for this. It's called NIMBYism. NIMBY is, uh, stands for not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And I found this fascinating. Like this, this is basically a way to explain why so often it is really easy to talk a talk, but, but it's quite difficult to walk a walk, right? When we pursue equity work, when we, when we lean into the kind of conversations that we are trying to lean into in this church and then see that affect our decision making, we no longer end up in that hypocrisy. We no longer end up a victim of the nimbyism disease, and we instead become people who can live out our values. Uh, growing up where you and I both grew up in Evanston, this is very much the legacy of Evanston. Yep. You see the perpetual inequity of failing failing to live up to our values because of what the ask is on us. And this is where I really do think a sense of Jesus-centered spirituality is able to make the difference. What are the things in America that a white middle-class family is told attributes value to them? The house you live in, the schools you go to and the schools your kids go to, your job, how much money you make, the nice of how nice your clothes are, how nice your cars are. All of those things are where we find our society would say value lives. However, I think if we live in a place where we recognize our sense of identity, our sense of who we are, our value comes from a Jesus-centered perspective and is not informed by our society, which says it's the schools you go to, the money you go to, then we're able to take a step back there and say that who I am and, and the, the signals that I give to the world or where my value lives is not in this keeping up of the other middle-class white Joneses. We're actually able to free ourselves to make different choices because the sense of security in who we are is actually founded in a different place than the society status quo communicates it is. 
Yeah, yeah, and and just to to piggyback on that, there's there's both the um, the the goal that sort of um, when you have a Jesus centered spirituality that that's working on you, it changes the goal, but it also changes the process. You know, we talked uh, last week about um, you know we we become like what we love and like what we serve, and so the more time that we spend um, trying to make that our goal, trying to make the self-sacrificial, uh, virtue of, of Jesus, our goal, the more that virtue actually works on us. Cause it's not just a good idea. It's, it, it's a God who is personal and, and, and can, and can live in us and can change us as we try to spend time there. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, th- I think that, that, that you're exactly right. That when we can, um, when we can see that, uh, our, our emotional spiritual health is becoming more Jesus-like, this is the way that that talks back to the equity work and makes us all the more effective because, again, we're able to live out our, our values more intentionally. It, it reframes the question, what is the good life? Yeah. You know, the, the question of what is a good life to most white, middle-class, suburban families is the answer of all those things I mentioned. The good life is a you know secure job, money, home. But when you ask what is the good life from a Jesus perspective— it is about participating in the kingdom of heaven come to earth. It is about living in a community in a deep sense of care from the people around you and a deep sense of validation from the God of everything. And when we change the conversation of what is the good life, all of a sudden the things that are asked of us to truly pursue equity, go through a different lens. Yeah. But I do think we need to go through some spiritual growth as a society, as people, because here's the thing again. Um, I am not a bad person for being white and middle class. It is not a value assessment. It is the it is that I have been socialized this way. So I don't need to feel guilty about it. I don't need to feel bad about it. What I need to do is when I become aware of it, I need to name it and do the process of spiritual emotional growth to figure out how this impacts the way i experience life <laughs> so that i can make choices that better align with what i believe jesus desires for me because if i don't i'm just going to operate out of default and our society has already been set up so strategically that all of us operating on default will perpetuate inequity for as long as we can imagine yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, uh, just to review, we've got some great, I think, points teased out here in terms of the connection points between equity work and emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, we have visited the fact that defensiveness is more toxic than discomfort, that emotional health uh, for uh, those on the bottom of society uh, is is only possible through equity work. Uh, that an equitable society is better for us all in the grand scheme of things. The rising tide raises all ships. Uh, that living in accordance with our values is an awesome thing when we get to experience that. And then that Jesus changes the answer to what is the good life. Great stuff. That's great. And just to reiterate one last time, there is a broken narrative that in some way our achievement disparity is what makes uh, success possible for white people. And I think that there is a false narrative in that, in the sense of we actually, you know, I think about this in terms of some of the communities in, in the South that had a real strong influx of um, uh, immigration 
particularly Mexican immigration into certain cities in the South. And the belief was that that was going to be stealing from uh, the white workers there and it was going to be stealing from their jobs. But what all the economists show is actually those communities became more fiscally viable with more people that were able to contribute work work more, buy more. I mean, this is a a capitalist pitch for anybody that's still holding on to capitalism, but there's actually a capitalist version to say. Yeah, yeah, an argument to be made that equity is actually a better way forward, let alone a Jesus-centered argument that is based on humanity and not just dollars. But to me, that this is honestly like the argument against truly addressing this is really just rooted in anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to move anxiety and fear to the side and actually look at not only what makes a better uh, world in terms of American value systems, but even deeper how we live out the life of Jesus in a way that I think we'll all find it to be deeper and fuller. Well, and certainly, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a long tradition in the, in the biblical narrative of like love casting out fear. And certainly that's a, a theme that we can pick up on the emotional, spiritual health front. So yeah, really good stuff. Uh, I think that's going to do it for what we have time for today, but we look forward to, again, continuing the conversation. Shoot us an email at brownlinechurch at gmail.com to tell us how we're doing, to engage the conversation further, tell us what we should talk about next, and we look forward to, again, picking up things next Sunday. Until then, we'll see you later. Goodbye.